Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Tudor as we talk about college football, the NBA, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, your weekly turtle tab, Mike Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions here on episode 134. While football season isn't quite here yet, the NCAA has released changes to the rules in the new 2021-2022 college football rulebook, approved rulings, and all that jazz that they send out every year. And while we'll probably talk about a couple of the changes, like flagging a coach for running off the sideline a la Matt Campbell last year, uh, the one that I want to talk about right now that's not quite good enough to be in Mike's stupid rules later on the episode is a change to the rules that closed um, a potentially unfair, I guess, uh, unfair spot for a foul. So the rule for defensive pass interference on a try goes like, if the foul occurred outside of the three yard line, it would be either 15 yards or a spot foul, 15 yards if possible, um, if the previous spot was outside the three line. If the spot was on the three yard line and defensive pass interference occurred, the spot would be half the distance to the goal. If the previous spot was between the two and the three yard line, the rule stated that the ball would be placed on the two defensive pass interference. And if it was on or inside the two, it was half the distance. So basically anything between the two and three, the three yard line would place the ball on the two yard line and anything three or less would be half the distance. You're following me so far? I think so, but I don't see a problem that really needs to be rectified here. So the problem here is if DPI happened when the ball was on the three yard line, the ball will be placed on the one and a half yard line, right? Yes. And if it was between the two and the three, the ball will be placed on the two line. So basically saying pass interference isn't as bad from the 2.75 yard line as it is from the three yard line? Exactly. There's a discrepancy there, which doesn't really matter. Absolutely not. Would it be a miracle uh, to the point of like a one point safety kind of if you could get this to even happen? First of all, you have to get your try on or between the two and the three and you have to have DPI. So when you're saying a try, you're talking about like a two point conversion attempt, correct? Correct. Right. This isn't just regular plays. No, this is this is a try. Um, So this was rectified, right? This is technically an issue. Would we ever see it happen? Absolutely not. But it's kind of cool regardless. So, so the fix was, um, instead of placing the ball on the two, if it's between the two and the three, it would be half the disc. Jives with the rest of goals being. You just got rid of the whole convoluted garbage in there and just said the penalty is always half the distance to the goal. If it's on or inside the three yard line, correct. If it's outside the three yard line, it's spot foul, or or half the distance, or or fifteen or half the distance, whichever is last. If it happens in the end zone or the spots inside the two, the ball gets placed on the two, which we don't really need to worry about. But the discrepancy was fixed in this new batch of NCAA rule changes, so good job, I guess. Yeah, that's too obscure to end up on like stupid rules, you're right. I agree. But thank you for informing us. Anytime. Well, we are talking about changes to uh, uh, rules, and this doesn't just apply to college football. This is across the NCAA. For those of you who haven't been paying attention, The NCAA um, finally approved um, a name, image, and likeness rule, Cliff Notes version. Basically, what this means is that players can now 
make money for the name, image, and likeness, which means things like signing endorsement deals. They can do that now, do autographs, appearances that they get paid for, things like that are all now allowable um, under NCAA rules. Um, I don't know if I have any major thoughts on that. I mean, we've talked about this previously. Um, like I've said this before, as long as it happened on a national level, I don't really have that big of an issue with it, which it did. Um, because right in this age of social media, if you're a good player, no matter where you're at, people will find you and you'll be able to make money about it. Right. You don't have the big schools don't have to have that much of an advantage about that. Right. If you're a good player who's playing well on the field, you're going to get your, your endorsement. Deal. I mean, that's just going to be the way it's going to be um, at this point in time. I don't know about um, any of you, if you have thoughts, but I'm open to that. I have nothing against it. Uh, actually, I was in favor of this before it was doing so. Kyle, do you have any opposing thoughts? No. Brock, <laughs> I mean, it, it allows us to have like sweet things like Brock Purdy just did a collaboration with Cyclone Fanatic for a Brocktober shirt. Um, there's other cool or in other big 12 like notable big 12 players spencer rattler the quarterback for oklahoma uh signed an endorsement deal with canes but he's actually he actually came out and said that i think 50 percent of all of his endorsements are going to charity already so at least some people are doing um doing well with what they can uh by using their name image and likeness for things they're actually doing that to benefit other people as well um but I think it's helpful, uh, and it, it definitely – it's, it's good for some of those players who had a hard time making ends meet. Um, they could just go on Cameo and do a little, uh, little blurb. Uh, if our listeners aren't familiar with it, Cameo is a place where you basically just pay someone to talk or do like a little – a uh, little blurb or uh, message to you. Um, so Brock Purdy already did one to someone else. I think that was posted on Twitter. So just random stuff like that, that gets, that is good for the players and it can lead to a little bit more fan interaction as well with some of the players too. I've always been of the opinion that if the universities can make money off the kids, the kids should be able to make money for themselves. And I think that's what this actually allows now at this point. And one concern that I have heard from a couple of people um, were that if the university has a whole lot of money, they could use this somehow to pay for players. Um, uh, let's imagine that a, a university partners with a private company in some shady backdoor deal that says, hey, we'll sponsor so and so for you know th this contract term if they decide to sign for it, which first of all is as far as I'm aware with this NIL policy. And second of all, even if these universities spend a whole lot of money on talent, I mean, my, my go-to example is the University of Texas. Look at the hundreds of millions they pump into their football program and the results they've been seeing in the past decade. So while money is helpful, I suppose, I don't think it's everything. I don't think this NIL policy is going to affect smaller colleges at all. In fact, it might help them. You know, a player could go there and somebody might choose to go to a bigger school like Alabama thinking they, they'll get better results but not see any play time because their end goal is to make money where here they can go to a smaller school, actually get play time in and still make money off their name and likeness. I think this is a net positive. And ultimately with the amount of 
the amount of like fluidity between football teams now anyway with the the transfer uh rules that are in play it I don't think it's really going to matter ultimately if hey a university is a, a big name university Texas Alabama Miami now with that six figure endorsement deal uh I don't think those teams are overwhelmingly just going to continue to hog the players. Alabama always will. They have what 28 top 100 recruits uh, in football for this upcoming season. Alabama, Alabama does that every single year or close to that. But do all of those players stay there for three years? No, there's people who transfer out and it's going to be, it's going to continue being fluid as there are going to be tons and tons of talent and tons of players looking to make their name for themselves in that transfer market. There are obviously coaches who are all for it. And there's obviously coaches who are uh, greatly opposed to it. Um, Mac Brown is one of those who's opposed to that transfer policy. But the one thing I'm still waiting on Dabo Sweeney said that if there were ever college players uh, getting paid, uh, for their name, image, and likeness, he would retire. Uh, Dabo Sweeney, yet to retire from Clemson. Uh, ball's back in your court, Dabo. Let's let's get the get that uh, get that in motion, shouldn't we? Yeah, I I agree that this hurts athletic departments, but not the integrity of the game. Here's why it hurts athletic departments, right? And I don't really care about hurting athletic departments. I'm not concerned about it, right? So we have a situation in in Miami right, where University of Miami Booster, right, basically signed every one of the scholarship players to a name, image, and likeness deal, right? This is why it hurts the athletic department, because that's money that he otherwise would have just donated to the athletic department. Well, he isn't donating that money to the athletic department anymore. He's giving it directly to the players instead for the endorsement deals, and he's getting something out of it because his company is getting the endorsement, Right. So like this hurts athletic departments because donations are going to flow. What otherwise would have flown to the department and donations is going to players in sponsorship. It hurts athletic departments, bottom lines, which I'm not super concerned about myself. I don't think it gives anybody a competitive advantage. So I think the only thing that you might see out of that is it's going to end up hurting the fans maybe more so because athletic departments aren't going to want to lose a ton of extra money and cash flow. So they're going to charge more on uh, premium stuff like concessions and no, they, possibly football tickets. No, they won't. They'll just stop paying coaches and as much money and building such extravagant facilities. Well, uh, you think they're going to stop paying coaches as much? Yeah. I don't Eventually think so. they're going to have to, it's unsustainable. The paces that coaching that coaches salaries have risen. They're just going to have to stop. That's something too that that was brought up the other day. I was talking, and uh, what happens when the players are getting paid more than the coaches was another concern. And no one's going to make that much. There is absolutely no way. The only person who would even probably get close to that might be Spencer Rattler, but his coach is making eight million a year. Good luck getting Spencer Rattler up to eight million a year. Yeah, not happening. Coach, yeah, coaches' salaries are unsustainable. Coach buyouts are unsustainably high. There's only only so many new toys you can put in these new athletic buildings. I think like, this is actually a net positive for the consumer as well. Kyle. I agree. Now you're going to be seeing like that Brocktober shirt you were talking about. Like I would have gladly spent money on that the past year, two years that we've had Purdy out there, right? 
look, think of all of these franchise, not franchise, but uh, tagged items that you can buy now for your that has the players on it, right? And the money's going to the players now instead of the university. I think that's a huge net positive for, for me. We could actually buy a Brock Purdy jersey now. Exactly. Exactly. This is this is a positive for everybody. Even the athletic departments, I think, will we'll see a benefit from this with the next decade. I think it's going to hurt for the first few years as we kind of get into it. Well, I mean, it's it's going to hurt even more so since all the athletic departments took the took a hit through COVID. Yeah, but it's it's something to keep an eye on. The long term effects will obviously not know until the long term happens. Hence, long term effects. But overall, I'm not super concerned about it. It's not the implosion of the NCAA as some people have beforehand had claimed it would be it's going to change some things i'm not sure it'll change much that much but we'll find out in the long term um stuff that we'll find out in the much shorter term is how this cyclone football season plays out and we're starting to get some predictions out with the uh all big 12 teams coming out here um just uh this afternoon kyle you want to fill us in on how that shook out for our cyclones yeah so it's i mean it's shaping up pretty well obviously you when you look at the entire Cyclones roster just from a recruiting standpoint, uh, it's mainly filled by three-star players. But as was proven last year in a eloquent saying by Brees Hall, it's five-star culture over five-star players. And that is starting to ring true, and the writers are taking note uh, in this as well. The Cyclones landed eight players on the preseason All-Big 12 teams. That is one shy of... OU, who had the uh, most selections for that team. Uh, On offense, uh, we had showings by uh, Brees Hall uh, being the first team uh, running or the the offensive running back. Uh, And then Xavier Hutchinson, wide receiver, Trevor Downing, offensive line, Colin Newell, offensive line as well. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Will McDonald gets some honors. Uh, of course, Mike Rose and then Greg Eisworth at defensive back. Mike Rose was selected as the defensive player of the year uh, in the conference, uh, obviously preseason. And then another note there is Charlie Kohler was the only unanimous selection uh, for any of the offensive or defensive teams. So it's it's clear clear cut uh, who the best tight end in the league is. Everyone knew that probably going into the season, Uh, but there is definitely some, some firepower for this Cyclones team. It'll be great to see that offensive line uh, getting healthy again. Uh, Reports out of camp are that they are uh, healthy and looking, looking good to start the season. Um, It should be a fun year. There's a lot of buzz around people saying that, you know, maybe it's not the SEC that gets two teams into the college football playoff this year. It could be the Big 12 because it could be that OU and Iowa State possibly both go into at the end of the season. One of the teams has no losses and the other one has only one loss and it's to each other. So that Big 12 championship game is going to provide be very pivotal uh, at the end of the season. And most likely we're going to see Iowa state and Oklahoma in that game, barring obviously huge attrition, uh, to either. Yep. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but there you go. There's your, uh, all conference teams. 
Um, but we are still like 60-ish days from kickoff, so you still have a little bit of time to wait. While you're waiting, there are, of course, some other things that can entertain your time, one of them being the NBA Finals um, that are underway. Kyle, where are we at here in the NBA playoffs? Well, so the NBA playoffs, we have made it to the finals. Uh, if you have been sleeping under a rock, the NBA Finals kicked off Tuesday evening, July 6th. Uh, and that game are, or that series is already uh, up one nothing for the Phoenix Suns. So surprise or no surprise here, the Phoenix Suns are in the NBA Finals. Uh, this is the first time that they have been in a uh, in a Finals game, I believe, since the '80s or early '90s. Uh, and it is Chris Paul's first ever appearance to the NBA Finals after his long tenure in the NBA. Uh, their opposition is the Milwaukee Bucks, who have survived attrition and made it uh, to the NBA Finals. They were able to just barely hold off the pesky Atlanta Hawks, who made probably the most surprising run uh, through the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. Um, but both teams near the end were dealing with uh, injuries, and that is going to be a key talking point. Uh, that we're going to get into a little bit today is how injuries have plagued uh, the NBA so far, especially in the playoffs. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo thought that he possibly was out for the rest of the season uh, in an injury in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young missed a pivotal game for the Atlanta Hawks as well. And that series was kind of won by some of the uh, other key players on the team and not the two superstars that we all hear about uh, from either of those teams. Uh, Giannis was able to come back for game one against the Suns. He did look just slightly hesitant, maybe, uh, but he's obviously trying to stay on the court. A few key players and key series that were possibly decided, who knows, um, by a lot of key injuries is what would that Clippers series have looked like had uh, Kawhi Leonard been healthy against the Suns um, when they played in the Western Conference uh, semi or was that finals Western Conference finals against the Clippers I believe what would have the Lakers series look like right Davis not getting hurt against the Suns right and what would it been would it have been any different for the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel Embiid not missing time uh, how about uh, Jamal Murray for the Nuggets? The Nuggets looked fantastic during the season. And then when Jamal Murray goes down, it's just Nikola Jokic. And that was a tough ask for just him to try and beat that Suns team that played really, really well. Donovan Mitchell, the star player for the Utah Jazz, they kind of fell apart when he had to miss some time. Chris, Chris Paul missed some time himself. Chris Paul. Chris Paul missed some time as well, but the Suns were able, fortunately able to keep rolling. The Suns were the team that seemed to avoid injuries the most throughout it, and they seemed to have, have more key players step up in big moments as well. Um, you look at the Brooklyn Nets in their series against the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. James, James Harden and... Um, Kyrie Irving couldn't stay healthy enough to help that Brooklyn Nets team and help uh, Kevin Durant continue on in the NBA playoffs. It's there has just been a lot of attrition suffered. And that is mainly due to the fact that I don't know if our listeners remember, they adopted a barely shortened 72 game schedule. The NBA did 
and they fit it into a condensed calendar as well. Uh, typically, the NBA season begins in October. Uh, the season this year began December 22nd, and they finished a season just only one month after uh, the NBA regular season would normally conclude. Uh, essentially, this cut out about four weeks of a normal NBA calendar, but only cut 10 games. So they're playing, fitting more games in per week, uh, which led to games with or less days of rest for players, causing a breeding ground for more injury. Uh, and then the playoffs arrived and there was no breathing room between the end of the season and the beginning of the playoffs for players to get healthy again. And Obviously, we saw last year that maybe that was what helped LeBron James and Anthony Davis stay healthy during the bubble and win uh, the NBA Finals. Who knows? Would they have been uh, in a position to do that, say they had been healthy this year as well? But yeah, it, it definitely, you can see, you could see a trend going on here and the NBA seemed to put, obviously, money over the safety of their players uh, and causing them an increased risk of injury. Through. Yeah, and LeBron James was very vocal about that throughout the year. I mean, I buy it to some extent, but also people get injured. Does, it, does the shortened season have something to do with it? Yes. Does the fact that LeBron James is old as dirt? I mean, <laughs> he's I'm not old as dirt, but, but he's pretty old for a basketball player. I yeah. mean, Shaquille O'Neal weighed in on it, and he basically said that LeBron – James doesn't have a reason to cry about it, but to be, I guess, on LeBron James' side, Shaquille O'Neal never played a condensed season like that. Uh, but on to Shaq's point, LeBron's making a ton of money anyway, and he can technically take rest days whenever he wants. So I, I, I don't know. It was up to a lot of the coaches and general managers how they wanted to handle this going forward. But I, I do think it was definitely a tough season for some of those players. Yeah, it definitely was. But to to be fair, Chris Paul is almost old as dirt, and he's still chugging along. He hasn't missed a significant amount of time with injuries. He just had that COVID, uh, uh, COVID tracing incident where he had to be quarantined or sidelined for a couple weeks. So. Yep. Yep. That, so we'll keep an eye on the NBA Finals for you, and we'll see if we have a first-time champion in the Suns or if the Bucks can win their second championship in franchise history either way it'll be a fairly new champion here so um in the mlb the season is rolling right along we had our first pitcher ejected for um sticky substances it was hector santiago i don't know who he pitches for now oakland it's the uh seattle mariners seattle okay he got ejected um of course, suspended 10 days. He, he's uh, currently appealing his suspension. He claims it was just sweat and rosin, both of which are legal. Um, that was found on his glove. His appeal is still ongoing last time I looked. So we'll see how that turns out. But so far, he's been the only player ejected for the sticky substances. Though we have seen a lot of great pitchers, specifically some great Yankees, at Aroldis Chapman and at Garrett Cole, look very, very pedestrian here over the last uh, three or four weeks. So it's making a difference. It's definitely making a difference in spin rate. Um, again, we need more time to see if it's going to change much about the results, but it's, it's making a difference, at least somewhat. 
Um, Wyatt, can you uh, help me figure out what on earth is going on in the NL Central right now? I honestly have no idea. You, you have no idea that the Cubs have somehow managed to lose 11 straight games? You don't know and, how that's happening? And the Brewers for 11, won 11 straight games at one point as well? I had fully expected these past the past 10 games to be what all of the games would have been this year. So I, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. But baseball. And now yes. suddenly the Reds are back in it as well. Yeah, the the NL Central has been wild here over the last couple of weeks. Um, the Brewers uh, did go on a big streak. I mean, they've got they didn't uh, pick up as much ground as they would have hoped because the Reds have also been pretty hot. But yeah, the Cubs have now lost eleven games in a row, have fallen into fourth place in that division. If the Pirates didn't absolutely suck, they'd be in danger of falling into last place. Yeah, that division, which was very, very competitive two weeks ago, is the Brewers are now very, very comfortably in front of that division. And that's a Brewers team that now has the uh, fifth best record in baseball, or sixth best record in baseball. So that uh, the NL Central has been a division to watch, of course. Um, plus, also, just because everybody loves to see this, the Yankees are also in fourth place right now. Everyone likes to see it when the Yankees. Um, the all-star break is right around the corner coming up next week in major league baseball. Um, a few note to me, the most notable thing, individual performance from the first part of this year has actually been Shohei Otani. Like he's yeah. running away with the AL MVP. In my opinion, he's hit now. What is it? 31, 32, he, home 30, run. 32 home runs. He just did his 32nd home run on July 7th, which actually, uh, passes, uh Hidaki Yoshiyama for the most home runs in a season by like a Japanese born player and it's not even the all-star break so yeah so he's uh I mean he won't break the all-time MLB record because that was set by a bunch of steroid users and is in the mid 70s and he won't get there but he's been phenomenal plus he's been amazing pitching too it's not just he's been one of the best hitters in the American League. He's also been one of the best pitchers in the American League. He's running away with the uh, AL MVP, in my opinion, and it's not particularly close. And the crazy thing about it is he might win AL MVP on a team where they finish fourth best in their division, too. Yeah, possibly. they're also in fourth place in that. So, so they are above it, 500. Yeah. But, I mean, he's been absolutely insane. He is uh, – Joe Madden said that he's going to make – uh, or, well, I guess he's – it's going to make all-star game history. Uh, Joe Madden says he's going to use him to pitch and to hit as well, uh, which hasn't been done in the – I guess on the AL side ever. So I, it's just he's one of those players that has a crazy ability to hit. And there's sometimes where you just see him hit the ball. It doesn't look like he swung super hard, but that ball launches like an absolute missile off of his bat even more so than it looks like it comes off of Mike Trout's bat, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he's a heck of a player. He is definitely a heck of a player. But the All-Star Game, Home Run Derby Monday, All-Star Game Tuesday, is that correct? Or is it All-Star Game Wednesday, Home Run Derby Tuesday? I always forget. I believe it's All-Star Game Tuesday. I think I always forget, too, because the Futures game is in there somewhere. That's, I think, before the actual All-Star break, though. I'm looking. Give me a second. Well, the home run derby, we might see some inflated numbers this year since it is in Denver, Colorado. 
the ball can ball can fly in Denver. Yeah, All Star Game Tuesday, Home Run Derby Monday. So keep an eye on that if it's something you're interested in. Remember that the All Star Game doesn't mean anything anymore like it used to. So it is truly an exhibition game, which means I probably won't be watching it. I won't be watching it. I'll be playing softball. It's on a Tuesday. We just decided. But um, yeah, so all-star break coming up. We'll talk more about that in next week's episode, I'm sure. But for now, as I promised, even though Willens Astadio, La Tortuga, baseball savior, has been sent to AAA, we will continue with our weekly turtle tab. He is still in AAA. There's nothing new there. He did not get the call back up when Byron Buxton hurt himself three days after coming off the IL. Correct, and he didn't hurt himself. He got hurt. He got drilled by a fastball in the hand. That's not really hurting yourself. You can't really blame a player for that. But uh, Ostadio did not come back up. He's still doing fine in AAA. He's played now 13 games down there. He's sitting just under 300. He's not walking much. He's not striking out much. He's basically being Willens Ostadio. Nothing spectacular, but nothing bad. He'll probably be back up at some point because the Twins are going to trade a bunch of guys at the trade deadline because they're bad. So you'll probably see him back up around then. But um, until then, he'll probably be down in AAA for the rest uh, for the next three weeks or so. But we'll, of course, keep you informed if he does anything um, spectacular around that. In Mike's Stupid Rules this week, we're going to talk about something that um, came up um, recently. Um, I've had some people ask me about this is, when can umpires throw pitchers out of the game for hit batters slash throwing at players? Now, do they have to warn the pitchers first? Can they throw them out right away? What even is a warning? Why do they matter? When can an umpire give them? Well, we will, of course, consult the rule book for this, as we do very often in Mike Stupid Rules. To do this, we are going to be looking at rule 6.02c, um, nine, which says a pitcher shall not intentionally pitch at the batter. If in the umpire's judgment, such a violation occurs, the umpire may elect either to expel the pitcher or the manager or the manager and the pitcher from the game, or may warn the pitcher and the manager of both teams that another such pitch will result in the immediate expulsion of that pitcher or a replacement and the manager. If in the umpire's judgment, circumstances warrant, both teams may be warned prior to the game or at any point during the game. So basically, to summarize the warning question, an umpire can warn anybody pretty much whenever they want. Before the game, after the first pitch that's a strike right down the middle, if the umpire really wanted to, he could warn both sides there. Basically, the umpire can warn both sides whenever he wants. Once warnings have been issued, if somebody gets hit, the pitcher's getting tossed. That's basically the way it is. The umpire can also toss a pitcher without warnings if they view that that pitch, uh, if that pitch was thrown intentionally at the batter. So an umpire can eject without warnings if, in his judgment, the pitch was thrown at a batter intentionally. Um, it's umpire's discretion there, as the rules say. So no umpires don't have to warn before they eject a pitcher. They can do that without that. So there you go. That is warnings and ejections for throwing at a batter. Sometimes it's still necessary, in my opinion. I know people disagree. 
but you can get ejected for it. It's in the rules. That's the way the rules work. Do it. Do it if you want, but suffer the consequences. Don't complain when you get thrown out. Those are the rules. Um, any questions on that from either of you two? Does that sort of make sense? No, I just feel like sometimes they complain about it, maybe to make it look like it was less intentional than it was. I mean, yes, that's always the argument. Is I didn't do that on purpose, and maybe you didn't. I don't know, but those are the rules. So, umpires describe. Don't if you're in a situation where the umpire thought you were throwing at him, you probably were throwing at him. Let's be honest. On the first pitch of the game, though. So this happened last week. I'm assuming Kyle saw it. Um, it was Miami at Atlanta. First pitch of the game. Sinker hit, uh, what was his name? Acuna? Yeah. Yeah. That bat hit his left elbow. No way that was intentional. That's crap. And then he got tossed for it because Atlanta's manager came out griping about it. I don't think the rules should change, but I think that officiating crew was crap in that decision. That's my only gripe here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Was there background from a previous game or previous matchup between those two we, that indicate that it was intentional? I guess we'd have to go back into it, but all I know is Acuna has been hit a bunch this year by Miami. This was the fifth time he was hit, but for the first pitch of the game, after they beat them twice in the series so far, like they're they're both- and on a sinker, not a fastball. Like I- if you're gonna hit someone intentionally, you're throwing the fastball. It's not like he got beaned. Like it, I don't know. I just thought that was crap specifically. That that that's an issue with that officiating crew. That that's a mechanics thing. Not yeah. a- I was out of town, so I don't know specifically that case. I'll watch the close call sports video on it later. Yeah, and see. Close call sports does great videos, by the way. Shout out. Well, and and while we're shouting people out, I would just like to shout out John Boy Media. You guys should go check out his video on Brett Phillips' pitching performance. His first time ever. Pitching in the major leagues, Brett Phillips brought us everything. Absolutely insane warm-ups, movements. He balked on the mound. He threw a 94-mile-an-hour first-pitch fastball, followed up by a 40-mile-an-hour 12-6 curveball. This guy had a pitching performance for the ages. He only gave up one run. In his past, in the past uh, three, or like, Recently, Brett Phillips has a better earned run average than uh, Garrett Cole, I believe. Uh, shout out to the uh, non-sticky stuff user. Uh, and it, it was absolutely phenomenal. You guys have to watch it. This is why baseball is great. He came charging out of the bullpen like a freaking bull. It was it was awesome. Got to go watch it. I think every other week we shout out John Boy Media. Right. We do. <laughs> but it's good content would recommend i agree it's great content it is do you know what it is not so great content how we absolutely suck at making predictions we do well in this case it's only josh who uh, had any predictions come off the board this week he got three predictions um off the board this week the first one is that really really head scratching prediction he had a long time ago that aaron Rodgers would stay in hawaii and start an nfl team um, he was playing in a golf event in Montana over the weekend, which means to play golf in Montana, you have to leave Hawaii. So I think we can just call this prediction wrong at this point, or do we have yep. to wait until the season starts and there'll be no, no team in Hawaii? It's wrong. He left Hawaii. So if let's put this stipulation there. We count it wrong now. And if we end up being incorrect and this happens, Josh can just win the season. 
All right, that sounds good. We'll all yeah. We'll yep, pull- we'll all lose. Hey, it's better than it's better than the BS I'm gonna pull out every week anyway. So, all right. Well, since we're taking that off the board for that, Josh gets a nah. Nah. Uh, also from Josh, he predicted that Christian Yelich would get two home runs in the series against Cincinnati from June 14th to 17th. Um, he did not. He did not get any home runs. Um, did he even get any hits? He did get a couple hits that series, um, but no home runs. So for that, Josh gets a nah. Nah. Um, but he did have a good prediction a couple weeks ago. He said that by the start of our next episode, which is this one, that the Brewers would be in first place. Now that was right before the Brewers went on their long win streak and the Cubs went on their long losing streak. So that's a very good prediction by Josh. For that, he gets a ding, 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 ding. Uh, that is all our accountability session. And under our new format, I lead us off for a prediction. I am predicting that the Twins do not finish last in the AL Central. That's my mm. prediction. I'm low in the bar. Don't well, finish last. For uh, reference, Wyatt, for our our analysis here, uh, 538 is predicting that the Twins will finish the season 73 and 89 and that the Royals will finish the season 69 and 93. Uh, what about the Tigers? The Tigers will finish the season 73 and 89. So they think that the Tigers and Twins could potentially tie. Yeah. It kind of that kind of jives with the uh, the current standings right now. They're half a game behind the Royals, right? and the Royals suck absolute. You know what? Right now, they have just been garbage. But they took two out of three from the Twins. I, I well, I, I still think this is a solid, uh, a solid point grab for you. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I I don't want to say a single, but I think this is a single. <laughs> I do too, and I'm a Royals fan. I'm not opposed to that being. I didn't think you would. You got anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, still alive, doing good. He is copying my prediction from last episode, and he is saying that the Bucks are going to win the NBA champion. Well, already down 0-1 in the series. 538 gives them a 22% chance of winning the finals. So this seems like double territory to me. Say so yep. what last week. Last time you gave me a single, but they had a greater than 60% chance of winning it back then. Oh, no, I did get a double for it. Never mind. I say, um, why did we give, what do we want to give Josh a guess? We gave double. Kyle a single for his son's prediction. That's what it was last week or last episode. I mean, has anything significantly changed? I know they lost a game, but like. Well, and the teams, they made the finals and then lost a game. I mean, that seems sort of like a push to me. Yeah, I'd say it's a push. So double? Yeah, we have two for double, Wyatt. You're not getting out outweighed here. Yeah, no, that's fine with me. Okay. If you said that you were for a double, I don't think. Oh, I definitely did. Oh, I just wasn't listening. What's new? I'm going to continue on my streak of hopefully uh, swinging for the fences here. I'm going to say that a safety on an opposing team will happen in Jack Troy Stadium. So, so the, the Cyclone, Cyclone defense. Two points on a safety in Jack Troy Stadium. The, cy- the Cyclones will not. Special teams. Yeah. Special teams, defense. Te- technically, could you, you could, the offense could get a safety. Yes, you could right. get a safety well on offense. Possible. It is possible. But I'm just saying a safety will happen and the Cyclones won't do it. So the Cyclones do it, it doesn't count. It's the opposing team. So we will get two points on a safety at some point. 
Double, triple, triple home run. Triple, probably. I don't know. I don't think it's. I don't know if it's a home run. When was the last safety to happen? Last year, the Cyclones get multiple safeties a year. I don't know about that. I think they've gotten safeties in back-to-back seasons at least. They got two safeties in one game against West Virginia that one year. You remember that? Yes. It's really dumb. I liked it. One was for intentional grounding in the end zone, right? One was for – we also got one for holding in the end zone Mm. at one point. Okay, that was a bad Google search. I Googled cyclone safeties per season, and it took me to a website about hurricane safety. That's not what I was looking for. I live in Minnesota. There are no hurricanes up here. Not yet. Um, Safeties per game. Here we go. Cumulative statistics, 2020. I'm getting here, if it allowed. It's not loading for me. Oh, here we go. Cyclone defense had, come on, where'd it go? Defense had no safeties last year. You're right. See, I didn't think they did. I think we had a safety on, we caused a safety. All right, so triple a home run, Kyle. What do you think? I'm arguing triple. Why? You obviously want a home run. Um, I got to go triple. Sorry, Wyatt. It's fine. Kyle, that just leaves you. Yeah, well, I mean, who really gives a rip anymore? But here we go. Uh, so I'm going to say that Brees Hall will be top five in the FBS in both rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. He has to be top five in both categories. I like that. Double? Triple? I don't think that can actually – I think there's no way that that can be a double. Top five in both categories, that means he has to go the entire season staying healthy and that the Cyclones actually have to be continuously committed to running the football. What do you think, Wyatt? Triple? Yeah, I, I think so. I was like, there. I, I'm fine with the triple, but there is absolutely no way that can be a double. I, I would tend to agree with you. But if you would have given me a home run, we would have hit the cycle this episode. We haven't done that in a long time. So boo you. For not giving me a home run. <laughs> Wait, you could have given me a home run. <laughs> True. I guess you're right. Or me. You're no. No, because not, not, neither of Kyle's or I's were uh, singles. Mm. We could have given you one anyway. Yeah, you're, you're correct. You could have done that, but I'm glad you didn't. So with those point totals all written down, officially written in the Internet equivalent of Stone, that conclusion segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 134 of the 811 Cast. We'll be sure to talk to you next week or after on episode 135. But until then, signing off for the 8311 Cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.